0: Money FM eighty nine point three Best of Weekends
1: International News Review. Steve joins us now. Lots to talk about in our world. Uh, Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. I'd like to think that I'm an
2: honorary weekend warrior. So, <laughs> you definitely uh, are. More than glad honorary. to be with the team. And <laughs> even... one, one quick. just one quick correction, Neil. For a child who, of course, grew up in Chicago watching The Lone Ranger, it is Silver, not Trigger, who is the Lone Ranger.
0: That wasn't me. That was your American friend. It was me. (laughs) Who is Trigger? Who is Trigger? He was a horse. I think Trigger was Roy Rogers. Rogers. Roy Roy Rogers. Yes, Roy Rogers. And you know how I know that? (laughs) I watched Die Hard on Christmas Eve, and he does the whole, I won't say the last part, but he does the whole Roy Rogers, Yippie Kaye, and he mentions the
1: horse Uh, Trigger. That's right, in Die Hard. I stand corrected. I'm yes, getting too old. Good. Okay, Steve. <laughs> Lots to talk about today. Let's start with the high-speed rail and the implications for business, uh, for trade and commerce. Uh, not not just with Singapore and Malaysia, but I think the the greater region as well might might see some uh, lack of benefit uh, happening here.
2: Well, first, I should be honest, I have never taken the bus from Singapore to KL. I'm okay. on SQ or, or 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 Air Malaysia. I mean, look, you need high-speed rail works best where you have two high-density cities to go back and forth. Um, it's the environmentally sound solution. It's it's better in terms of timing. With Malaysia pulling out, there is no way that uh, high-speed rail makes any sense whatsoever between KL and, and, and JB. And so it really is a shame that this couldn't go forward for business reasons, for environmental reasons. You know, I don't know how much COVID had, had a play in it because, as, as you've been talking about, uh, there have been delays uh, on the Malaysian side for, for years now. So I don't believe that it's going to go forward now uh, between JB and, and KL. And it's really a shame that it, it's not going to work for, from from all sorts of perspectives.
0: And Steve, just to follow up on that, obviously... Singapore has invested already up to $300 million in it. But long term, who do you see it having the greater impact on? My gut feel for what it's worth is I feel Malaysia might suffer more. I mean, I think Singapore will get by. It's an international hub. Uh, It's a a centre of commerce and so on and so on. But Malaysia arguably needed this rail link to Singapore just as much, if not more than Singapore.
2: Well, an interesting argument that I you know re- read this morning was that Malaysia feared this would hurt them more, yeah. because what would happen is you would have people coming into Singapore as, as a regional hub. You go up to KL on the train, you come back to, to Singapore on the train, and then you fly out of Singapore, and that this would actually take flights out of KL, that people would be using the airports less uh, in Malaysia and certainly in KL. And so unclear if, if, if the people who had the most to lose who were in those you know, transit hubs that could have mm. that mm. were going to lose international flights could have have lost out. But clearly, a hit from from a Malaysia perspective, from a business and an environmental perspective.
1: Absolutely, Steve. One of the other challenges here, or one of one of the things that was mentioned was, and you know, we don't know all the behind the scenes stuff. But with Malaysia not having an international deal like this with Singapore, they would ostensibly be able to just go ahead and not have to send. Um, this project out to international tender, meaning they could decide internally in Malaysia who got the job to build the high speed rail network uh, that of course raises all kinds of questions as to who exactly would be chosen and for what reasons uh, you know the, that topic we can 't really fully discuss here, obviously because we don 't know what 's behind the scenes, but when we look at economically the the tenders that would have gone out and the the jobs that would have come in to Malaysia to Singapore to build this, it that in and of itself, uh, despite the large cost, would have certainly stimulated both economies in very positive ways.
2: Yeah, you no, know, I mean that's you know where, where infrastructure is so badly needed in this part of the region, not so much, you know, you do have the the transit between KL and Singapore and it's mostly by air now. So it would have, it would have spurred a lot of construction investment. It would have spurred a lot of technological know-how. Certainly you would have had suppliers in Malaysia that would have benefited from this. Um, Hopefully, you know, Malaysia, you know, did initially um, participate in China's Belt and Road initiative and that was so poorly Mm -hmm financed in a from a malaysia perspective to benefit the chinese that that was canceled and so you don't think that that would happen a second time and that 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 the the construction would take place where it made sense economically but you know as we've been talking about does it make sense economically to have high-speed rail without without it being singapore on one end of it it really doesn't
0: yeah i mean looking forward no one has a crystal ball do you ever see this project being resuscitated because it does seem listen to yourself and other economic political experts it does seem a no-brainer in the long term
2: it it can i mean again you're right it 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 makes sense this was only going to be completed i think in 2031 Mm. you know 10 years from now so no reason a new government in malaysia a year from now may not come back to what you already have a lot of that land acquired you know as is um you're not allowed to play golf. Your your own country club doesn't exist anymore uh, because they've already taken the land there for the the station. So it can come back. Hopefully it will come back because it does make so much sense on on so many levels, but clearly not until after
0: we're passed. And that's the interesting thing, Steve, isn't it? Because it leaves the Singapore government in a certain state of flux. These are considerable sized tracts of land in a land-scarce country. They can't stay, you know, roped off with state land signs plastered across the place indefinitely. At some point, Singapore, the Singapore government needs to make a decision about those parcels of land in Jurong and in Tuas, don't they?
2: They do. But I mean, you can't see that happening again for another year or so because you don't you're not having the development now, but because of covid Mm. anyway. So it's going to take some time. Hopefully it can get renegotiated. Maybe you'll get a new negotiating partner, maybe when the, the Malaysian finances come back. Uh, into shape once COVID is in the rearview mirror, you can you can come back to this project. Let's hope they do.
1: All right, Steve, let's move on to Brexit. Uh, just <laughs> just a year or two or three ago, that was all we were talking about. Yes. What was Brexit? What was going to happen? When was it going to happen? Now it's almost, it seems like a kind of a sad coda to uh, the year 2020. Um, so we're, we're in it now. It happened. What are we seeing as the way forward in terms of Real challenges or problems with uh, the relationships now between uh, the UK and the EU?
2: Well, I think the short term is what's going to happen with the US in the UK because the UK and the EU have their trade deal now, and that's, you know, that got signed basically almost at the stroke of midnight. But the US and the UK do not have a free trade agreement, they need to have one. On the US timetable, um, there's something called trade promotion authority, and that is where Congress forces itself to vote up or down on a on a trade deal, as opposed to going through it line by line. It's the only way trade agreements can get can get approved by the Congress. That ends this year. If this deal isn't presented, a U.S. UK deal is not presented to the Congress by April 1st, there isn't going to be a U.S. UK FTA. And then there are going to be a lot of problems, much more so for the UK um, than the US. So that's the real issue to watch over the next
0: you know, really less than three months. And how does the Joe Biden presidency impact upon that, Steve? Joe Biden has said quite publicly his support for Ireland. Of course, he was involved in some of those Good Friday agreements initially back in the days of Bill Clinton and before. So he has close ties to Ireland anyway. He was very keen to come out and support Ireland, stating a position that was kind of at odds slightly with the British government Mm -hmm. at that time and the Trump presidency. So his ties, you would imagine, are going to be more closely aligned to a European trading block of some 500 million people than it would be to the UK. So how do you see that playing out?
2: Well, look, this isn't a priority for the United States right now. It's probably the UK's number one priority. But Joe Biden has said my first 100 days in office are going to be focused on COVID. Yeah. Um, and then who, who knows what else is going to come up. Uh, in terms of of foreign policy. Will Kim Jong-un do something in North Korea? What's going to happen with China and and the tariffs there? Are we going to get another stimulus through the Congress? Joe Biden is not going to be wasting his time on what is going to be a very contentious trade agreement with the UK, because as close as the US and the UK are, there are tough sectors that still have to be negotiated digital tax is one of those farming is another one where the you know the UK doesn't want the hormone fed beef or the chlorinated yeah. chicken mm. coming into their ireland and our farmers do uh, and so I can't see this getting done by April first, no matter how close that special relationship is between the U.S. and
1: the. Yeah, UK. there's a lot of political capital that Joe Biden would have to expend to get this done that he is clearly going to need to expend on other topics. Uh, one would assume. And uh, if I could just follow up, about- one brief one on that, Steve.
0: What are your thoughts on how Brexit will impact Singapore here in terms of Singapore UK relations?
2: Well, it may help in a way because you now have that, you know, you have the U.S.-U.K. trade deal and you're going to see that the U.K. is going to need to do more in Asia um, if they're going to be doing less in Europe. I I saw one, you know, one study said that the U.K. GDP is going to take a four percent hit because of Brexit. Where are you going to make that up? You're going to make that up. Hopefully, with new trading partners in Asia, so Singapore is 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 putting itself in place as the launching pad, even more so for British businesses, and also to be at the forefront of setting the digital trade agreement um, uh, that, that's going to go forward that we need to get done in, in terms across all of Asia to ensure cross border data flows. There's no data localization. The digital tax, you know, makes sense and, and uh, across different different countries. And so there is a lot of opportunity for Singapore working with the UK and vice versa when it comes uh, to Brexit.
1: Hey Steve, let's move forward. Uh the Trump veto override that happened uh, just the other day, uh he was not wanting the uh the Senate to move forward uh, with their funding of the military, uh, the annual budget that's been what uh, approved 56 or whatever years in a row. How big of a moment was that for both Republicans and Democrats to stand up to the president's veto?
2: Well, it's it's the first veto of President Trump's uh, four years in office. So this is, I think, the beginning of the signs that Trump's grip on the Republican Party is starting to loosen as he is going to be out of office, you know, in just a, a, a few weeks and change uh, time. So this is a, a big deal. Normally, um, Republicans, even when they disagree with the president, are afraid of taking him on because uh, of the president's control over his Yeah, over the base and that this could hurt those Republican senators, especially with their constituents. Mm. But that didn't happen this time. He got overridden by by massive bipartisan majorities in the House and the Senate. He's going to lose again this week, which we could talk about in in a minute on the certification of Joe Biden as president. So Mm being an optimist let's hope this is the beginning of some bipartisanship that we haven't seen in Washington in in more than a decade
0: but on that point steve a fascinating story i was reading this morning in the guardian that ted cruz of course of texas mm. several nine other republican us senators or senators elect will reject presidential electors from states where Donald Trump has contested his defeat by Joe Biden. Now, even though it's unlikely they'll win, the move is seen as as almost entirely symbolic. Why are they still pursuing this? Why is this, for want of a better word, cult of Trumpism still persisting? Would they not be distancing themselves now from the Trump presidency? What what is the strategy here? Well,
2: so so what's going to happen on on January 6th is normally a formality. And that's when the Electoral College... Uh, sends its votes to the Congress. The members of Congress review those votes and then they certify the winner um, with Vice President Pence in his role as president of the Senate making that announcement. This is, Donald Trump doesn't want this to happen. Donald Trump has been urging senators and congressmen to object. He's even mad at his own vice president who's been so loyal to him um, for four years now. And so you now really have a choice where Republicans have to say, do we stand with the Constitution or do we stand, which is what you know, really is a seditious act, yeah. um, failing to uphold the will of the people. Many Republican senators, even those who did not vote to impeach Donald Trump, are saying we're going to certify Joe Biden as president. That is our constitutional duty. Joe Biden won clearly. Um, in, the, in the popular vote and in those states that Donald Trump has contested and has failed at over and over and over again to get overturned uh, by state legislatures or by, by, by the courts. And so some senators are playing to their base. Some senators who want to run for president, like Ted Cruz, uh, like, like Josh Hawley of Missouri, they're doing this for their own political reasons, and it's really going to cause a massive split in the Republican Party.
1: Yeah. I mean, to to Neil's point, too, this is, um, you know, this is a fairly what, what some would say cynical or others might say opportunistic uh, ploy by just a small handful of senators to stay relevant and to stay in the Trump camp. What if the Republican Party changes, you know, in these next four years and and comes back to more centrist? Uh, you know, what if Trump decides to go more the independent route uh, himself, then that would leave those senators out in the cold, would it not? I mean, it's a big gamble.
2: Well, that, it's a, there, you're going to see a real civil war coming um, in the Republican Party. And you, you, to see how cynical some of this move is, is Josh Howley, who's going to run for president in 2024, is sending out fundraising materials because he is going to side with Trump in objection, objecting to the, the certification. So it's very cynical what, what some of these Republicans uh, are doing. Some of them are doing it to protect their own seat. Um, and say, well, my constituents want me to do this, therefore I will do this because it's going to, to keep me in the Senate. But then you have others who are saying we're not going to go along with this, like mm. Mitt Romney, like Lisa Murkowski, like Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader. So how this plays out over the next four years is really going to to show whether the Republican Party can almost – exist or if it does exist, will it be more of a Trump party or will it be more of a traditional centre-right conservative party?
0: Or to add to Glenn's point, who added to my point, <laughs> is, it, is it also an acknowledgement that whether, you know, se- was it 72, 72 million ish votes were voted for the trump presidency so whatever your whatever the views are on the trump presidency the concept the the philosophy of trumpism Mm. is here to stay in some form and is the likes of are the likes of ted cruz pandering to those 72 million votes well i I think neil you have to ask yourself were those how many of those 72 million votes were trump
2: votes and how many of them were republican votes or mm, anti-democrat exactly, exactly. Votes. Mm, mm. so that's what's going to split the party trump did not get 72 million votes on his own he got 72 million votes from some people who liked him better than they liked the democrats but it doesn't mean mm. that they liked him and it doesn't mean if the choice is between trump or a more traditional or I shouldn't say more traditional, a traditional Republican from from years past, they would have gone with them. And so this is where, you know, Trump doesn't care about the Republican Party. He cares about himself. He cares about his own brand. He cares about his political survival. He cares about his financial uh, survival. And he's going to continue to raise money um, and, and because he needs it. Um, with all his debts coming up and with all the lawsuits coming up. So it's very cynical on so many uh, on so many parts. Um, he's going to be the first president and who who is never, you know, conceded um, and participated in a peaceful transfer of power. He's already calling for for protests that are going to mm. you know, come forward. I don't know how bad it'll be, but he is going to go out the door kicking and screaming.
1: All right, let's move on to something that has a direct implication uh, for the next Congress, and that is this runoff election in Georgia coming on Tuesday. You heard Andreas Price uh, from Atlanta about an hour ago talking about that. What's your take on that?
2: Well, this is going to come down to who brings out their voters. It, it, in close races, it, it always comes down to the ground game. Can the Democrats get their voters out? more so than the Republicans can get their voters out. We know that Georgia has gotten to be a very, you know, purplish state, you know, only separating Trump and, and Biden by 12,000 votes. It's going to likely be that close again. The interesting question is if Trump is hurting his own cause or hurting the Republican cause, not his own, hurting the Republican cause by talking about how this election is an illegal election. If, mm-hmm. if the president is saying to Republicans, this is an illegal election. Why are they going to go out and vote? That's the real unknown going into into
0: Tuesday's vote in the U.S. And just to take it one step further, we have a question from A.B. Terrence, our regular viewer and listener, uh, who's asking, if the Democrats win, I'm assuming he's referring to Georgia, where does that leave Wall Street? Where does that leave the economy if the Democrats end up with the slight balance of power in the Senate?
2: Well, it has major implications for a lot of different sectors. Certainly, um, you know the financial services sector in particular. Uh, but it is because what's going to happen is if the Democrats win both of those seats, then they have the majority in the Senate because it will be 50 50 and the tiebreaker goes to the party that controls the White House. Um, and so they will get to name all the committee chairs. They will get to name what bills go to the floor. They will have the ability to pass things now great legislation massive legislation typically would require uh, 60 plus votes mm. so it is not going you're not going to see a massive changes in a 50-50 senate with the democrats in control but you're going to see other changes so it will have a big impact on infrastructure it will have a big impact on the climate it will have a big impact on on almost every sector that you can imagine because so much needs to get done in the united states it will probably have a big impact in terms of of uh, another stimulus
0: and whether we're going to get one
1: steve elkin we've got to leave it there thanks so much for your time your insight today much appreciated as always
0: Happy New Year's, guys. And to you, my friend. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.